Welcome to the Retirement Plan Playbook. I'm Matthew Thiel, a financial advisor at RPA Wealth Management. Joining us on today's show is Brent Pasqua, the president of RPA. Brent, how are you doing today? Outstanding, Matthew. How are you? Great. How's your 2020 going? It's off to a good start, Matthew. Great. And with us, as always, is a financial advisor with RPA Wealth Management, Joshua Winterswike. Josh, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Matt. Thanks. 2020 treating you well? Everything's going good so far. Any fun moments or anything you want to tell the listeners about? No, just off to a good start. Good, good. So ready to ready to get the podcast and the new decade rolling. Yeah, for sure. And today we actually have a, a fun show lined up. We're going to review the last decade and we're going to do it a little differently than most decade in review podcasts. We're actually going to kind of talk about our own personal financial plans and what happened to us over the last 10 years and how it kind of shaped where we're going today. And um, let's get it started, Brent. So tell me, where were you 10 years ago? What were you doing? That would have been 2010. So in 2010, I was uh, at a previous firm. Um, Firm was focused more on insurance products and not so much financial planning. Although for myself, we were heading a lot in that direction, but they were still not going there. And I was really taking time to then consider leaving that and starting RPA Wealth Management. And that's right when that was getting rolling and 2010 and early 2010 is when I started dating my wife. So who's now my wife. So, I mean, that was a, a great year and there was a lot of transition that happened in that year that led me to where I'm at today. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the listeners would probably want to know about starting the business. I know that's a really popular topic that uh, we get a lot of people who, you know, hire us on. Um, how did that work for you? Like, how did you actually start your own business? Well, I had been working in the industry for some years now. I started in around 2004. And um, with that, we I had already built up several clients. I had clients you know, that I've had brought in and taken on and, and been working with for many years at that point. And when you start to work with a lot of clients, I think one of the things that you experience is that a lot of clients have different needs and you wanna be able to help them in their best way possible. In order to do that, because everybody is so different, you have to have extensive planning software, you have to have the capabilities to work with the clients, you have to have the knowledge to work with the clients, and you have to be somewhat obviously creative, so it's like an art and a science. And if you're working somewhere that doesn't give you those capabilities, then it's time to move. So um, from that point, because I had clients, I knew it was just a matter of putting some of the infrastructure in place, and as soon as we made the move, to open up our shop, we were off and running. So I think when a lot of people go to start a business, one of their biggest obstacles is probably fear, right? Fear they're gonna fail, fear there's not gonna be a paycheck. Uh, how do you overcome that fear? Did you save? Like, Yeah, you have to save money and you have to really create a business plan that you know is gonna work. I mean, you gotta outline your plan and you have to start laying out what your expenses are going to be, what you think your cash flow is going to be, and how many people you can afford to pay. And you know you have to put some of those really hard business structures in place, and you have to find a location that's going to work for you, that's going to work for your clients. So there was a lot of time that was spent, and, and actually at that time what I did, because I had already you know revenue going into um, those, those years, because I'd been working in the industry, I, I did bring in a consultant that kind of helped me lay out some of the landscapes of areas where 
because I'd never started a business before, it gave me some of the experiences that I would need to start that business. And that was very helpful. So you were investing in your business before you even had a business by hiring a consultant to kind of give you advice on how how to get started. Yes. And that cleaned up the areas of things that I didn't know at the time. The weaker is very smart. How many years um, did you work at the other firm before you started RPA? Uh, I was there for about nine years. Wow. Yeah. In the last three to five years, I knew that that time was coming to an end. I mean, it was just very different than the way the industry is is being done today. Yeah, totally. Uh, Josh, what about yourself? Tell me, uh, where were you in 2010? I was uh, finishing my last year in college and uh, I was at Cal State San Bernardino here locally. And I had already gotten a job um, at uh, Citibank on the retail banking side. And um, through that time, I was looking for internships and jobs with uh, uh, investment firms and, um, you know, trying to be a stockbroker. And that's what I studied in college was finance. And there was nothing or nobody hiring, obviously, 2009 and 10 recovering from uh, the market crash. And so it was just a a really interesting time studying finance um, and finishing up my degree. I remember just a kind of a, a quick funny story. One of the finance teachers um, ripped out a theory in one of the finance textbooks because of 2008 since then this no longer applies. So that was just a really interesting time for me to start my career in finance was right after a, a market crash. Um, so I learned a lot um, through that period um, and um, started at Citibank right before I, I finished college and continued on there for about five years. Yeah, graduating college in 2008 through 2000, probably 12, was probably about the worst time you could go into the investment industry in the history, would be my guess. Oh, yeah, it was bad. Uh, Really bad. Yeah, I experienced that as well. In 2010, I was living in uh, New York City, but I ended up there because I couldn't find a job out here in 2008 when I graduated college, and I was working for a website called Minionville, and doing uh, editing, writing, uh, lots of research. It was fine. Very cold in New York. I don't know if you guys know that. I've been there when it's cold. Yeah, not not so much fun. But I mean, in 2011, I decided to to quit the job and come out here without a job, move back home, and then luckily I, I I'm at Brent. Yeah, I mean, you were looking for a job. I needed some help in portfolio management, and it was a pretty good match. Hire the least qualified guy. (laughs) (laughs) The cheapest you could afford with that new business. Hey, you did a fantastic job and you haven't gone away since. So, so Brent on on your plan, besides starting the business, what are some other things that kind of happened to you over the last 10 years? Uh, Well, I got married and we obviously started the firm and we've grown the business with new clients. And I feel like we've done a tremendous job changing the lives of clients ever since then. So we've made a, a tremendous amount of advancements. I had kids since then. Um, so my life looks a lot different now than it did 10 years ago. I feel like I was so young at that time. And, you know, there's so much more now to my life with work and with my family 10 years from then. So you had kids while you were starting a, a new business. Is I'm sure that created a lot of challenges. Um, Tell me about those. You know, whenever you step out, there obviously is that concern. But then at the same time, um, I felt comfortable with the team that we had built around and the clients that we had. And 
you know, even though my son was just being born, uh, we, we there there really wasn't any hiccups, and I was able to still spend time with my son and and go through all his young ages, and then the firm just kept on growing. Any financial challenges from having kids that you could think of, or are they kind of easy until they hit a certain age and then they start costing more money? I think they it's it's manageable. I mean, obviously, there's a lot to buy when they're young, but you know, it is manageable and as they get older they do get more expensive that's for sure yeah as our parents could probably attest right by the time we're like 16 17 years old it's pretty expensive and college isn't cheap nowadays no it's not joshua uh i believe what year did you buy your condo was it 11 12 were you still working at citibank um it was actually a few years after that it was i want to say it was 2015 oh 2015 no 14 so what happened between uh 10 and 15 uh, so I was I was working on at Citigroup and um, was just you know kind of starting my venture in, in finance and um, really enjoyed my time there. Learned a lot. Um, we did everything from retail banking to you know kind of the mortgage side and the retirement account side and and um, just a, a really good place to learn and and learned even about come you know the compliance side of, of uh, finance and so. Um, through that period, I, I had saved, and I knew I wanted to get out of my parents' house, and I saved up to buy a condo. So that was my first real big financial, you know, decision and event. It was a goal that I had um, from when I graduated college all the way up until I purchased my condo, um, and so that that was one big event. And then I think it was the the year after is when um, I made. A move, or I decided to uh, start at RPA Wealth Management. Brent was uh, my mentor through through college, and so you know, whenever I had specific questions or you know, just kind of needed someone to talk to, uh, he was there and kind of, I guess, watched me as I kind of grew. Um, and then uh, in 2015, was it Brent? I think it was 15. I started at RPA Wealth Management. Yeah. So you made a big career change. I did. Yeah, yeah, and it was primarily based on you know that corporate city group side was really has their own agenda and um, they wanted to push me in, into a kind of a direction that I didn't really see myself in. And I knew that I always wanted to do, you know, investment management and, and financial planning. I didn't know at that time I wanted to do as comprehensive financial planning as we're doing now. I kind of, you know, obviously through research and education have, have found the love um, for it and, you figured out that that's really what I wanted um, was to help people on a more deeper level. And so, you know, making the move to RPA Wealth Management and knowing that RPA Wealth Management was doing financial planning, which Citigroup wasn't and wasn't really pushing me on that direction anyway. It was a big decision, but uh, so far it's, you know, just been nothing but uh, rewarding and really happy that I made that decision and I'm here here today. Yeah, we saved you from the bank. <laughs> yeah, it was. I can't. I can't say bad things about it. You know, like that big financial uh, moment that I was able to save for through, you know, the money I made there. Yeah. Uh, so I had a place to live. I got some experience. I learned a lot. But it definitely was not. Looking back at it, it was not somewhere I wanted to be long term. I was very happy to leave there. Except we make you work on President's Day and some of those other days. Yeah, that's <laughs> you true. don't have bank holidays that's anymore. That's true. No more. No more bank holidays. Um, you know, no more volunteer your days right. <laughs> that you get paid for so it is a it is different uh you know but um it is really what i, I 
you know, didn't know at the time I wanted to do when I was graduating in college, I thought, you know, being a financial advisor meant you just talk about investments. You know, it's stock picking, it's mutual fund, a portfolio design. And, and I had no real idea at that point that there was a lot more to, you know, financial planning than just the, the simple recommendation and the investment management. So any challenges in kind of learning transitioning from being a banker to an advisor? Did you have to get more education? Uh, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so with a finance degree, and as you know, you, I mean, you have, have one too. They, they speak a little bit about financial planning, but it's not the, you know, the, the primary topic um, with, within your, your four-year degree. But yes, you know, starting in the investment advisory firm side and leaving the bank, it was a lot different. You know, they're, they're longer conversations with clients. They are more in-depth. Um, and a lot of it also is understanding, like, the behavioral side of finance and, you know, the emotional side of it. Because, you know, when you're talking to someone about their retirement and doing more in-depth planning, there's just a lot more that goes into a financial plan than just selling, you know, a mortgage or a checking account or a credit card um, on that retail banking side. So, or even an IRA account that we're putting into a, you know, three-year CD at 2%, whatever it's going to be. So obviously with that being more responsibility uh, for your clients too, it needed more education. And this last decade, I I went and got my CFP as well. So, uh, which was a big educational step for me and, and helped me with the confidence to provide even better service for, for clients. Any advice maybe for someone who's listening today who would maybe you want to do a career change like you did? Um, yeah, I would definitely, if education to start there, I mean, I think it not only is going to just help with, you know, advancing your career, giving you the confidence. And, and I think knowledge is, I know it's kind of cliche, but knowledge is power. And if it is in the financial services industry and you want to do planning, if it's someone listening out there that wants to do that, start with your CFP, go get it as fast as you can. Um, even if it's, you know, you're still at your job and you can't, take the test yet, go out there and, and really get that CFP education done. Absolutely. And then I'd say the networking with Brent probably helped a lot too, since he was the end guy who had the confidence in you to bring you over. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm super grateful, uh, kind of a, if we're doing a decade reflection, super grateful that he gave me the opportunity, but you know, it was, we, we always kept in contact. He was my mentor and I really appreciated that. And that's how I also knew that it was someone that I wanted to work for, you know, and, and developing that relationship and understanding how relationships can lead to, you know, good things. Yeah. Brent's a great, great person on my own side. Um, you know, very similar story as yours. Um, but I was, it was 2012. I was doing some freelance work and I believe it's probably the beginning of 20, no, it was the end of 2012. Brent asked me to come in and help him trade some portfolios. If, if you don't mind, I'm going to say what you, you paid me. I don't even remember what it was. <laughs> oh, I do, because it wasn't very much. Uh, you paid me 24000 a year, 2000 a month. <laughs> so it was a significant pay cut to it what It was I, a side job while you were trying to find a, a real job. Was yeah. that gross or net? That was gross. <laughs> okay. So it was a significant pay cut to what I had been making and what I thought I was going to be making. Um, but it was the right career field for me, and I was willing to make uh, sacrifices and you know, essentially uh, bite the bullet for a few years while I went on my journey in the financial advice industry. And so, you know, we're thankful for that. 
and I, I do think my pay has grown every year. So I, I don't I don't even think we guaranteed you twenty four thousand for the year. I think it was more like, hey, let's take this month by month and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> it wasn't an annual yeah. salary. No, it was a month was no, month salary. There was no commitment. <laughs> when, when you added it up, it was twenty four. Yeah, that was so good though. I just came in. I was already the all star of, of that team. Yeah. <laughs> so so tell us a little bit more about that, like that development through this last decade of starting at you know your two thousand a month salary and progressing to your role today. Well, here's the thing, and this is advice for pretty much everybody, anybody who wants to work hard and you know get successful, change careers, but do more than is expected of you. And so when I didn't have any tasks to work on, I would just research the industry. And um, that's kind of how Brent and I started going the, down the financial planning path together, together and how we did eventually make the decision to give up commissions and go fee only. Because mm-hmm. I was spending all my time on the internet, you know, re- on Twitter, um, reading what other financial planners were writing on their blogs and just really uh, doing that industry level research while Brent was out getting all the clients. Yeah, it was a huge progression to where we are today was because of those foundations that you put in those in place for all those years. Absolutely. But that was, that was that's been my journey since then. It's been a lot of different hats here. Um, when you when you came back from New York, did you even have a car? I don't even remember. Well, that's a funny story. Man, I'm going to sound like such a loser. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, my grandmother had passed away in 2010, I believe. And they left a car at my parents' house. And my parents never sold it. Mm. So I drove that. Is that the Sonata? Nah, oh, that, that was the Toyota Avalon. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then um, once the Avalon was kind of hit, hit the skids, uh, my other grandparents gave me a Sonata. So oh, there's dr- the Sonata. Yeah, nice. then the Sonata came in, so I drove that for a while. It's because you didn't need a car in New York, though, right? I mean, yeah, I sold my car to move to New York. Yeah. Correct. I don't feel so bad for paying him so low, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I was I was blessed on that, um, and it helped me stay in a good financial position because um, there were some free handouts there. Sure, sure, and through that, I mean, you had more education as well. Yeah, I, I did the CFP in 2016, I believe. Great program, highly recommend it. It did not cost that much money. I mean, it costs a lot of time, but I think the total commitment was probably under $10,000, right? Um, $15,000. I know that does sound like a big sticker shock to some people, but when you look at, you know, the cost of becoming a lawyer or a doctor or even just getting your master's, I mean, it's significantly cheaper. Right. Or just going to private school. Yeah. Or just (laughs) private school. Yeah, totally. Um, Okay. uh, Brent, anything else that kind of happened to you in this last decade from a... I'm sure there was a lot, but you know we'll maybe save some of those because we hit the key points. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, Josh, what about yourself? No, I think it kind of tells my story, and and uh, you know, happy happy to look back in the last ten years and see growth and us doing this podcast together now. So um, just excited for the next decade. Yeah, and I, I do have a question for both of you uh, that I, I actually just thought of. So you're very unprepared for this. But back in 2010, were either of you even thinking about building your own personal financial plan or were you just kind of going through the motions, doing what you thought was right? 
No, I, I was always cons- knowing that there was pieces I was putting in place towards my financial plan. Um, not all of those pieces were in place at that time as they are today. But I was always thinking of things that I needed to do to put myself in a better position, especially as starting your own business was, was coming down. Yeah, I think it was more, I didn't know it was a financial plan, but I knew, you know, I was making a little bit of money. Uh, my grandma always told me, you better save your money. Um, and so I had that installed in me from, you know, I was a kid. So I knew I had to save money. I didn't know that that was, you know, a part of a plan. Um, and I knew that I eventually wanted to buy a piece of property for me to live in. So that was kind of a goal tied to that savings, even from when I just graduated. So as little of a plan that was, you know, it was somewhat effective um, because I reached the goal that I had set myself, you know, for when I graduated. So both of you are really good long-term thinkers. Looking back 2010, 2011, I had no plan. How could you? You weren't getting paid anything. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good point. I I mean, mine wasn't very much different. I was just making a little money and, you know, putting 15 bucks a paycheck into a savings. Yeah. Account, so all, all I knew is I needed to save something. Um, but I was kind of still in that stage where if anything major happened, you, you go to your parents and you ask them for money. Yeah. I mean, in 2010, weren't you still in the heart of staying in New York and you weren't really even considering coming back at that point, right? Yeah. I didn't move back till, uh, the summer of 2011. Right. So yeah, I was definitely in New York city. Yeah. Any plans for, for 2020, Brent? Any uh, short-term goals on the financial planning side? I think there's a lot of things, obviously, that on the short-term planning side, you always want to make sure I, I'll continue to put in contributions into our 401k plan and try and put as much money or max out my contributions in there because of the tax savings that happens with that. Always reevaluating to making sure I have enough life insurance in case something were to happen to me that you know my family is protected. There's always a couple of changes that can happen in your life to amend your trust. So I think there's some things that I need to do there. But those are some of the, the keys that I'm looking at. And there are a few other things, you know, financially that I'm looking at doing. But we'll kind of see how this year starts out off and go from there. Yeah, that sounds like a great plan. So just kind of do some maintenance. Yep. And then, uh, Josh, what about you? Uh, going through my marriage checklist, got married last year. So, uh, still it was June of last year, but still getting through, um, my marriage checklist of all of the things we have to incorporate and change. Um, and our next goal, um, as a couple, and I, you know, obviously this is individual and as a couple, but, to um, purchase a new home, we're looking to get a bigger place. And so our goal is to, um, for me and my wife is to just continue to save, eventually buy a, a new home within the next couple of years. That's a huge goal. Yeah, I'm on that. I'm on that train as well. I was just about to ask you what your your uh, 2020 decade goals. Yeah, so goal. over probably the next one to two years, probably buy the home, finally bite the bullet there. Unlike Brent, I don't actually have a living trust, so it's probably time to get one of those created. And um, I have no life insurance, so I'll probably need to uh purchase a life policy coming up in the next probably year as well and it's you know i'm getting old so it's only going to get more expensive every year i wait mm-hmm. man that's on my my marriage checklist too so yeah. you can go price them together and then uh one thing on the marriage checklist Brent, i think you probably already did this but we actually never integrated our finances mm. And so this year, one of the first things we're going to do probably by the summer is integrate our finances interesting uh, 
I think it's going to make things a lot easier for mm-hmm. saving mm-hmm. and for watching our spending as well. Interesting. Uh, that, that could be a whole podcast show right there. Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, I agree a, too. A, a lot of, there's so many different strategies that people use to manage finances between husband and wife. I mean, you know, there are multiple ways to do it. There's not just one. And when you get to that point in your relationship where it's like it's too hard to manage it separately, and some people come to that conclusion later than others. Some people do it the day they get married, but certain people do things to what works best for them. But it, it does make it interesting how you actually merge those together. Yeah, we're at the point where it's probably a little too difficult to manage it separately. She has too many moving pieces and I have too many moving pieces. Right. So it makes sense just to put it all together. Yep, I came to that conclusion with my wife a few years after we got married too. It would be a good show. Yeah, we'll we'll put that on the list. Any uh, parting thoughts? No, but good luck in the in the new decade to all of our listeners. I'm just hoping to get my name on the podcast show. So uh, when people search the podcast, that you know my name can come up also instead of just Matthews. I, I think Josh, are you trying to get your name on the show too? I actually would would like that. Yeah, that wouldn't be bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have our producer, host, manager. <laughs> he does he does a majority of this legwork, so he deserves the. I just wish everyone title, could see how big his smile is right now. <laughs> well, I might have already put your names on the podcast. So oh, hopefully, nice. when this one releases on iTunes, you might see your names. Unless I did it wrong, and then we'll have to contact Walter, who's who's our true producer, and and, and get that taken care of. Um, But for all of those out there who are listening and thinking about their goals for 2020 and and beyond, um, the best advice I can give you is whatever it is, just start it now. Mm -hmm. Don't wait. Don't put it off. This is financial planning is like a gym membership. The longer you wait, the fatter you're going to get, the more out of shape you're going to get. Whether it's $10 or $10,000, just uh, start playing away for your goals. Yeah, I think the key to creating goals is first thing that you have to do is you have to clearly define what they are. You have to write them down and you have to look at them every single day, whether it's writing them on your mirror in your bathroom, whether it's looking at them in your phone, whether it's printing it out, putting it on your desk, it has to be in front of you. It has to be clearly defined and go after those because when you see them every day, you're going to start achieving them. But if you write them down and then you never look at them again, guess what? The end of the year is going to come and you're going to look at your goals and say, well, which ones did I accomplish and which ones did I not? So write them down. That's great advice. And I think just to piggyback on that, I 100% agree with you. Absolutely. And, you know, also make sure that you know the difference between the short-term and the long-term goals. All goals don't have to be, you know, the the, the big finance goal that's five years away or 10 years away. You know, make sure you have those short-term goals, that monthly goal, that quarterly goal. Right. Um, Because, you know, obviously you start with the smaller goals and you're working your way up to the larger goals. And I've just seen success with that with myself. And, and, um, I think that it's obviously super important. I a hundred percent agree with you about writing them down and having that accountability of looking at them every day. Yeah. Yeah. And on a final note, um, be an optimist, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, changing your career, um, saving for retirement, um, be optimistic. It will work out. Don't be a pessimist. I cost myself a lot of money mm-hmm. in my early years being very pessimistic about everything. So just be optimistic and you will accomplish your goals. Yeah, which is why I think you and I, we've made a good team like in that respect because I don't really like fear anything. I'm just full. When I make a decision, I'm full forward ahead and I'll make it work. And you're more calculated sometimes and with some things. And I'm a pessimist. 
Yeah, I mean, you're calculated. Yeah, I've had to I've had to really train myself to be more optimistic, and I'm still very pessimistic. Hmm. But anyway, in just listening to you know even to my own story, but your guys' story, there was all you know three big risks in there. I mean, starting the business, career change. Um, so you know, risk can be good, right? I mean, taking that risk can pay dividend, and and uh, without no risk, there's not going to be much reward or change. Yeah. yeah. Who's that football coach? Is it Arians who says no risk it, no biscuit? Is that what he says? That's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I I could be wrong. All right. Well, uh, any any parting thoughts? Excellent show. Glad we could share our our stories and uh, looking forward to the next topic. Yeah, me too. Josh, anything else? No. Yeah, great show. Glad to share uh, this last decade and I'm looking forward to the next one. All right. Thank you for joining us on the Retirement Plan Playbook. Um, Please visit retirementplanplaybook.com for the show notes and to learn a little bit more about us. Thank you and have a great day. Thank you. RPA Wealth Management is a state-registered investment advisor located in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Registration does not imply a certain level of skill or training. RPA Wealth Management may only transact business in those states and jurisdictions in which it is registered or qualifies for an exemption or exclusion from registration requirements. A copy of RPA Wealth Management's current disclosure statement, Form ADV Part 1, containing RPA Wealth Management's business operations, services, and fees is available by accessing the SEC's Investment Advisor Public Disclosure website. RPA Wealth Management will provide Form ADV Part 2A from Brochure and 2B Brochure Supplement to interested parties upon request. Information provided on this podcast should not be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to acquire or dispose of any investment or engage in any other transaction. RPA Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personal investment advice or financial planning advice through its podcasts. RPA Wealth Management podcasts are intended for information and educational purposes only.